0: So Brian is the type of person that after you speak with them, you have to Google for several hours just to understand their unusual life. I don't know if you know anyone like that. You Google to see the stuff they've seen, the places they've been, and also just to understand some of the words they use. I mean, he's well-educated, so well-traveled. Brian was a man in his mid-50s that had been a successful architect for several decades. But life? Life had gotten difficult. His relationships had fallen apart. And it seemed easier to design a house than it was to build a life. The disappointments had piled up, the failed relationships, the unresolved issues led him to numb his pain through addiction. No surprise that it wasn't working out well for him. One of the things that Brian liked to do was travel the world and see ancient architecture. He especially had an affinity for the sacred. He told me of the temples and cathedrals, the monasteries that he'd experienced, and as I listened, I was envious. He talked of places I didn't even know existed. One specific story was on his most recent trip to Italy. He'd spent a week there and was deciding whether to head to Spain or Greece. Does he go right or does he go left? He chose to go right, to head to Greece, to visit Meteora. Now Meteora is a series of Greek Orthodox monasteries that are perched atop these monolithic rock formations. They're absolutely spectacular. I had to Google them. Many of these monasteries are only accessible by a basket that is pulled up and down on a system of pulleys. And Brian had made arrangements to visit one of these sacred spaces. And atop of one of these monasteries, he meets an elderly monk who lives there. Now, this monk was originally from Brooklyn, New York, and now he spends his time thousands of feet in the air, and Brian told me that he and this, this elderly man spoke all evening, and his heart was, was so full in the presence of this wise sage. He said that it was the most incredible experience he'd ever had. And as the day was coming to an end, he was supposed to descend. And the monk asked him if he wanted to stay to continue their conversation. He could leave in the morning. Well, Brian quickly consented for sure. This would be amazing. And so a meal was lifted up via a basket, and they shared dinner together. They spoke all evening. And the next morning, as my friend was ready to leave, he spoke to the monk and expressed some concern. He was worried about leaving the monk on the top of this monastery because as an architect, he was aware that the place didn't quite live up to code. But Brian's main concern was the fact that this elderly monk was completely blind. And after expressing his feeling about safety, the old monk paused for a moment. And then he said, My son, I am blind, yes, but you are the one who cannot see. Now, when Brian first told me this story, whew, he got to that part and I was speechless. No truer words had been spoken. Brian had spent so much time searching the world, searching outside of himself for something that would fill the inside of his heart. Now, I met Brian Again, not too long ago, and I had him recount the same story to me for two reasons. One, I wanted to hear it again. And second, I wanted to make sure it was true. Brian looked at me and he said, Aaron, I'm still blind. What is it I cannot see? What is it I'm missing? He asked. In that moment, I didn't feel qualified to answer that question. I told him, I said, Brian, I don't know. I don't know. He looked at me and said, make a guess. Well, I thought about his desire to experience the sacred all over the world. I thought about all the the trouble and pain in his life here in Canada. And I said, I wonder if you're more enamored by your appetite than you are with the meal. I wonder if he enjoyed the search so much that he never took the time to find anything, to commit to a discovery. It was just an observation. I would never have raised it if, if he didn't press me. He got quiet. He looked at me and he said, you're right. Aaron, I'm a tourist. I'm not a traveler. I want my life to be a holiday, not a journey. And it hasn't worked well for me. See, if you have no idea what you're looking for, you might never know when you found it. It doesn't mean that you have to have it all figured out because we don't. But if you're hungry, eat something. I've I've told that story before, but felt a need to tell it again because I keep meeting Brians. Their names are different, but their stories seem to be on repeat. The Buddha once said that if you're thirsty, don't dig six one foot wells, dig one six foot well and go all the way down. Sometimes I think we search for meaning and purpose in life or our circumstances, and at times in this search, it can seem that everything is just beyond our grasp, that our happiness is in that other job or in that other place or in that other life or in a new relationship or in the past or in the future. But we can't seem to find it right here, right now. But unless we're able to find meaning and purpose in this moment, we most likely won't find it in the next. And I know this is a difficult idea, because for many this moment is hard. But it's true. And sometimes what's true isn't easy. God is here with us in this present moment. I was recently reading in John's biography of Jesus, and one sentence jumped out at me, and I couldn't shake it. Let me share this one sentence. With you, but before I I read the sentence, I'm going to have to give you a bit of context. John begins his telling of Jesus' story, his life, by describing John the Baptist's entrance into Jesus' story. Now, John the Baptizer appears from the wilderness of the Jordan River and he's baptizing people in a new life, freeing them from their past, so to speak, in this beautiful demonstration, plunging them into the water, and they come up in this new experience. I get the attraction. Who wouldn't? like to symbolically plunge themselves into newness to feel like um they've wasted away or washed away all that's behind them but this 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 scene in the river was becoming a bit of a spectacle this grizzly looking man down in the river dressed in camel hair with leather belt he didn't if he didn't look strange he sure probably smelled weird nothing worse than wet hamilcare wet camel hair and leather Regardless, he was attracting crowds of people, Jews and Romans alike. And we know that this spectacle was garnering the attention of the religious in Jerusalem because they sent a group to investigate. So in chapter 1, we read that they asked him, Who are you? I think more accurately, what are you? Are you a prophet? Are you Elijah? It's interesting that they knew there was something special about him. He performed no miracles. Except... His message drew peasants and soldiers alike. And in Luke's biography of these events, those who were baptized left not just wet, but transformed. Their instructions were to go and live differently, walk gently, generously, kinder. And the religious were intrigued by this. And so they asked, who are you? And so his answer was a quote from the Torah, the Jewish scripture, from the book of Isaiah john looks at these religious people and he says i am a voice of one calling in the desert to make straight the way for the lord and i think it's this just confused them those who were sent to get answers they they asked even more questions okay listen if you're not a prophet or elijah or the christ we've been waiting for then then why do you baptize what's the deal let me read to you john's response from john chapter 1 verse 26. John says to them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now that sentence, John's answer, caught me. I've read it many times, preached from this passage before, and it still catches me something sticks out. Both John and these religious have not yet seen the awaited Messiah. Jesus hasn't made himself known yet. But one of them is preparing the way for God's arrival, and the others seem to be, in some ways, blocking it. But among you is one who you are searching for, he says, but you don't know him. I read that and I was gripped with how true this is. And not just for John, but for Brian, for all of us at times. Isn't it interesting that it's often the marginalized, the outcast, the lepers, the broken, the disenfranchised that recognize Jesus first? In the pages of Scripture, we read this. It's interesting. Sometimes powerless puts you in a position to see better. Oof. I didn't like the way that sounded either. Sometimes powerless puts you in a position to see better powerlessness doesn't have to come from being humbled it can be a choice and that kind is one of the strongest forces in the world jesus said so the last will be first the meek will inherit it all and it is a powerful presence and jesus embodies it And I think this is partly the point of recording the life of Jesus in these four different Gospels to help us see what God would look like with sandals on. If we don't know what we're looking for, it's easy to miss. If we don't know roughly what we're looking for, how do we know that we haven't already found it? What if we believed on our journey that among us is the very presence of God? The presence of God that we're looking for. And perhaps the journey is about learning to recognize it. Richard Rohr says that we're already in the presence of God. What's missing is our awareness. At his birth, Jesus was called in Hebrew, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This doesn't just describe a moment, but God's intention. You know what, though? The God with us is not as comforting sometimes, because when we're in the middle of it, we're hoping that God will come and rescue us. And that implies that maybe life is bad because God's not here right now. And God showing up might end the chaos, might make it better. So how do I get God in my life? But unfortunately, I think that's the wrong question. And I think it's an unhealthy one. It makes the assumption that there are places that God isn't. And that just isn't true. In the Jewish concept, God is the ground of all being. If it's real, God is in it. And if God isn't in it, It not real what's missing is our awareness of the divine so to be told the one you're searching for is already here he is in the boat in the storm with you that just doesn't feel as great we're hoping for a big rescue scene you know um i didn't know this was a story about precarious journey filled with self-discovery and growth (laughs) oh joy well let me be the first to tell you this is a precarious journey filled with self-discovery and growth yeah i know me too i was hoping for something a little more hollywood salvation isn't about rescue it's about transformation it isn't about putting god in your heart it's about discovering god in your life don't get to the end of a day and have a blind monk tell you that you're the one who cannot see open your eyes to the beauty all around you to the beauty inside of you Don't be waiting for the pain to stop or the chaos to leave. Recognize that God is with you, even now. What's missing is maybe your awareness in the midst of all you're experiencing. This is our light. There is something we will always need constant reminding of to wake up. Fortunately for us, life offers us many constant reminders that joy joy is to not only be found in this moment, but to be lived in this moment, to be expressed in this moment. So look for God. The divine presence is among us. The spirit of Jesus is around us showing up in the kindness of strangers and friends. Creation itself shouting to us that God's presence and God's love. And if you still can't find God anywhere, look in the mirror and pray that people will find God in you in your own words, in your actions, and be amazed that the ancient book of Genesis is right, that you were created with the very image of God that desires to glow through us, be reflected in us. Unfortunately, we have to, you know, we have the wake me up when I get there button pressed. But if we can live like here is there, then we get both. So to the person who emailed me this week asking, how do I find God? I think sometimes the reason we can't find God in our life isn't because the divine isn't present it's because we're not present often convinced that the misery we're experiencing is because God's left that just isn't true God's presence doesn't eradicate troubles it transforms them it offers a new perspective on them faith isn't about changing the prognosis faith is discovering the strength to face any prognosis and this is so that we can learn to not be afraid of anything we're facing. Regardless of how it may feel, God is with us. What if we woke up to that beautiful awareness? What if we let it begin to transform us? And if we caught a glimpse of God's grace, God's love in our life now, and what if we followed wherever it was leading? And what if we found a community of people who could not only recognize God's light in you, but also reflect God's light when you can't find your way. So may you awaken to the beauty buried beneath your own feet. And may you begin to trust in the beautiful transformation that awaits.